Hello and welcome to Lady Justice Women of the Court podcast. In this episode, Chief Justice Beth Walker of West Virginia and Justice Rhonda Wood of Arkansas welcome special guests, the original co-hosts, former Chief Justice Bridget McCormick of Michigan and former Justice Eva Guzman of Texas for a very special reunion episode. In their reunion, the four Lady Justices share personal stories of connections and the rewards of getting out of your comfort zone. The Lady Justices also share their most significant changes in their life since they were all together last, what challenges they may face in the coming year, and how they overcome a difficult day from a personal standpoint. Finally, in the lightning round, the Lady Justices and special guests discuss what they are most grateful for outside of family and work, what books or shows they read or watch right now, and how the pandemic changed their wardrobe. That's coming up. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to Lady Justice Women of the Court. I'm Chief Justice Beth Walker of the Supreme Court of Appeals of West Virginia, and I'm here today not only with my friend, Arkansas Justice Rhonda Wood, but also with not one but two very special guests, our original podcast co-hosts, former Chief Justice Bridget McCormick of Michigan and former Justice Eva Guzman of Texas. I'm so pleased and grateful that we could get together today for a little chat. Eva, hello and welcome back. Hello, everyone. It is just wonderful to be back on Lady Justice, Women of the Court. I have missed our monthly podcast and just the opportunity to connect on a different level and so glad to be here. Well, what Eva said, Beth, I wish I had gone first, but she said it perfectly. It's just really wonderful to see all three of you. Eva, we've missed you and uh, Rhonda and Beth, uh, it is wonderful to see you both and thank you for inviting us back into this conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. And Rhonda, how are you today? Good. Likewise, I'm just beyond happy. I I feel bad that it's a podcast because I wish everybody could just see like how happy and more like how smiley. It's the best reunion. So thank you, um, Eva and Bridget, for coming back and just getting us, you know, to revisit. And it's just good to see you both. It is. And uh, I've been looking forward to this, I have to admit, all day, possibly all weekend, to be perfectly honest, which tells you a little bit about how boring my weekend must have been. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. Um, I am so excited to talk today. It is a wonderful reunion, as well as a chance to talk about what state Supreme Court justices can do after their years of service on the bench conclude. One of our goals on this podcast has always been to shine a light on state courts and encourage folks, especially women, to consider public service in the judiciary. And I guess the stereotype is that a person becomes a judge maybe after a long career in practice of law or academia or all of those things, works for a long time as a judge and then just retires. But that is not always the case. And I would argue that it's healthy to change leadership in our branch from time to time, which is probably a whole nother discussion and an idea for a future podcast. But our two friends and special guests today are perfect examples of moving on successfully to do other things after being a justice and a chief justice. And I can't wait to hear all about it. 
So Eva, let's start with you. You last joined us on the podcast a little over two years ago, which is shocking to imagine that it's been that long already. Tell us, what have you been doing? Well, time flies. That's that's a certainty. I left the Supreme Court of Texas in June of 2021. I left to pursue a non-judicial office, a political office, and that's been in the news lately, and I won't talk about that. I have not, but the office has. But I look at change as an opportunity. I really thought about what I was leaving. I'd been a judge for 22 years. I'd been on the trial court, on the appellate court. I decided thousands of cases and written just hundreds and hundreds of opinions. And that was, I would say, the the capstone of my uh, career is being able to serve the public in that way and to engage the most difficult issues, legal issues of the day. But when I left and, and did not win that particular office, I decided to go back to the practice of law. And we have the opportunity to do that here. There are many countries that are not many countries. There are some places where former judges can't walk in the courtroom as advocates. And so I'm glad that's not the case here. I joined an appellate boutique right close in Barger. And I am practicing appellate law. I have my first argument in the Texas Supreme Court coming up this fall. And boy, that's going to be fun. (laughs) I have just a a very uh, diverse practice, and uh, it's interesting coming at it as a former justice. I I just like to say we know how judges think, uh, because especially I did it for so long, and I and I worked around so many different judges, and there were just some guiding principles and some things that matter to decision makers. And so putting those at the forefront has been really important. Don't fight the old, build the new. Well, and when you were talking about arguing, I will say that we had a former justice argue in front of us at one point and we we really struggled and we were like do we call them justice and we we're like well, we can't we were like we didn't know how to refer to them and we were so you know we had there's several of us that had this discussion because we wanted to be respectful to them but at the same time we didn't want the opposing counsel to feel um they were on an unequal footing and so I will tell you that it, I know probably attorneys have difficulty, you know, referring to you, you're always going to be Justice Guzman to them, but um, even for the, the on the bench still, it's, it's a very, you know, strange setting when that transition happens, but you're just the epitome of professionalism. So I know you'll handle it so well. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I do think it's just important to remember there is only one judge in the courtroom and it's not you anymore. It's you know <laughs> the judge or the justices. And coming into court, uh, just understanding that I think helps everybody feel comfortable. It helps me uh, just to understand, you know, I am there because this judge uh, is going to make this decision and what can I do and how can I argue in a way that helps the judge, you know, get to to the right decision. So Bridget, the last time you were um, with us, you were just about a few months into your new roles. And so what's the update? How are, is everything going? Are you getting your feet, you know, sort of grounded at this stage? 
I think so. First of all, let me just uh, before I launch into what I've what I've been up to, I I, I want to say what a lucky law firm that has Eva Guzman on its letterhead now. I mean, can you imagine like a better advocate, especially in an appellate practice, than than Eva? I really I I can't. So lucky law firm. Um, that's that's fantastic. If your if your oral argument is going to be online, I would love to try and watch it. So you'll have to let us know about that. I will, and thank you for those kind words. I do think I'm get, kind of getting the hang of it. I'm, so I started at the American Arbitration Association and International Center for Dispute Resolution as the president and CEO in February, February 1st. And it's been a pretty busy year. The AAA is the largest provider of arbitration and other ADR services in the world. We do hundreds of thousands of cases. We have 28 offices in the United States and one in Singapore. I just returned from Singapore a couple of days ago. And I have been to, I think, 20 of our offices and done lots of other travel and to meet meet our clients and our customers, meet the lawyers who hire us on behalf of their clients, meet their clients, as well as our panelists to sort of see where this field is, is headed. There's a lot of change happening in the legal profession. So um, I feel like it's a really interesting time to be leading this organization, which is an, a nonprofit um, and therefore has an access to justice mission. But I do feel like I'm finally kind of getting my arms around it. Luckily, I have a great uh, senior team, so lots of help. Well, this is so much fun to get all four of us. Uh, and as folks may or may not know, we record this on Zoom. So we are getting to see each other for the first time all together in a while. So that's really fun too. As we've talked about, it's a great opportunity to reflect on how quickly time passes and especially about how changes in circumstances can transform us. Um, when I talked, when all of us talked to law students or new lawyers, Inevitably, they're often and understandably worried about making a decision about the first job or changing jobs or where they should go or even earlier than that, where you should go to law school. But, you know, we're here to tell you that those kinds of decisions and concerns have uh, continue through your whole career. They were always thinking about the transitions and what's going to happen next. So I thought it would be fun to start to talk about that just a little bit. And so a question for everyone, Bridget, you go first. What is the most significant change you've had in your life since all four of us were together a little over two years ago in 2021? So I think that the, far and away, the most significant change has been that I lost my dad in a year ago, August. Um, and Rhonda and Beth, you were aware of that because I was still uh, filming with you last year. But I know losing a parent is something obviously we all hopefully go through. I mean, hopefully, uh, you know, our parents' um, uh, deaths predate ours. That's the normal operation of things. And so in some ways, it's like the most normal thing to happen to everybody in the world. But I will tell you, it definitely sent me on a year of a year and then some because it's been more than a year and I'm still reflecting and thinking and figuring out all the ways I want to honor him and all the ways in which it focuses time that you have left on this earth and how to spend it with the people you love. So um, you might have been asking about professional changes and I went right there. So sorry. I specifically did not make it about work. You get yeah. to decide. And of course, as we've said before, uh, we are so sorry for your loss. We know all of us who've lost a parent, there's nothing quite the same as that. So I can't imagine how tough it's been for you and everything else you've been transitioning to. Eva, what is the most significant change you've had in your life? 
you've mentioned a couple, so you can you can go back to those or come up with a new one. Well, let me first say also uh, my condolences to you, Bridget, and um, I think I lost my my parents too young, and I think when you experience something like that, it does get it does make you reflect on what you're doing, what's important, and you know how you can impact the lives of others because I think that's that's the legacy that we carry forward. And so in that regard, so I talked about my professional work changes. Part of what I did at the court, which was so meaningful to me, was working for children in the child welfare system. And I led that children's commission and also access to justice. And I've tried to stay connected to that, but that's been a big change. That was such a big part of my life. And it was such an important part of the work that I did. And of course, now I have to honor the almighty billable hour. <laughs> it, um, it's it's tough to make sure that we're giving back in the way that we should. And so I think that's been a big change is a, in addition to the, the work, it's also having to change the focus a little bit about how I advocate for children or for people who can access legal services. And actually this does provide um, private practice and Bridget, maybe you've seen this, we do have a different opportunity and it can contribute in different ways beyond how we did as a judge. So that's been a big change. The many perhaps might say, I can't imagine going back to the billable our scenario, but I, I don't know. I know you pretty well, even I can't imagine you're quite finished yet as an advocate for children. So I look forward to watching how you do that from your current scenario. So I'll go next and then Rhonda. So I'm taking it in a slightly different direction. I said about a couple of years ago, a big and what felt like unreachable fitness goal for myself I decided I would walk a marathon. I didn't know, I've never run anything and I didn't really know how one walks a marathon, but I decided I would. And I didn't think, I thought, I knew I could do it, but a lot of folks probably said, oh, she's crazy. What is she doing? You know, trying to do something like that. But I did in January. And I I bring that up not to say how awesome I am, although I guess I am, but to say that, you know, trying something that you don't, think that is very unfamiliar to you or that you're not entirely sure you can do is transformative. I mean, it's not just about walking a marathon. It's changing the way your brain thinks about possibility. And um, I learned sort of backwards, I suppose, that doing things like that, venturing into something new, especially, you know, when you've kind of done the same thing for a while uh, is really exciting. So I'm going to, that's my answer. Rhonda, how about you? I guess, and I'm going to jump back to Eva. Um, I think, you know, one of the blessings of doing this podcast is I've always learned so much from all of you, but I guess now I'm reminded that the blessings of being on the court is that we don't ever have to think about that we have all these opportunities for service and how easy it is to serve. And so, and that's one of the first bonding as we, with Eva as we met and kind of bonded over the Children's Commission. So thank you for sort of reminding me that, you know, when I get in the the dumps sometimes <laughs> um, of how, you know, wonderful that we have this opportunity. But so for me, it's sort of, I guess, similar to Bridget in a sense, some personal um, 
that ended up being work, but is the most significant change with my husband. He had some health issues and had to quit practicing medicine. And so he is now retired. And um, so that has changed our life pretty dramatically. And in part, he, you know, I joke that he tries to be helpful and I try to tell him helpfulness is not shrinking my clothes by him trying to do laundry now, (laughs) but it's made me, I did not realize how much I worked on weekends and how much I worked on evenings because you guys know he was an OB doctor. So I was just, it was sort of expected that he was gone in the evenings and weekends. And so I had built that into my natural routine um, because our kids are all gone. And so now I'm being much more deliberate and thoughtful and trying to sort of keep my work life separate from, you know, my, you know, real and personal life and trying to have, you know, more managed and set hours. And that has just significantly changed sort of, you know, my entire life. And I think being really mindful of sort of drawing limits. And so that's just, you know, changed me a lot in the last year and a half. So, but I think besides that, one of the other things we were curious about is looking backwards, but then also looking forward is obstacles that we uh, think that we're looking facing coming forward. So Eva, I'm curious, what sort of obstacles or challenges do you have coming forward? Do you see in the next year or so? In, a, in addition to your upcoming argument, besides uh, <laughs> <Besides> that, <laughs> you know, we all have different obstacles at different times, and you know, there are seasons in life, and so this is a different season, and it's doing something different, and it's doing it by choice, and it's pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. So, I think being able to adapt to change, and also being able to just embrace who you know, Eva Guzman, the appellate advocate is because, you know, there's a tendency to compare yourself to others or a tendency. And it's a good thing to to be perfect all the time. And so you're going to uh, shoot for perfection. But I think being able to embrace your imperfections and to learn in the places that there's something to learn. But um, I think, well, I mean, I even the, you know, the wonderful jurist on this podcast, you're amazing. And yet we, we, you know, tend to be harder on ourselves, right? Well, I, I have to perform just to perfection. That's what's expected of a justice or of a former justice. And God forbid the former justice doesn't know, you know, a case by memory because, well, how dare you? Didn't you write that? Uh, so it, the, the way to combat that is just to be super prepared as prepared as you can but I think adapting to change is is probably an obstacle self-imposed but nonetheless it's it's something that I work on every day um it's such a great question I love that we get to talk about this in this group I keep forgetting for a minute that other people will listen to it I feel like I'm just talking to my friends and so and I think that's how it should be um I'm excited about the year ahead I have professionally, but I think there are lots of obstacles. I mean, I am, I work for, you know, I work with a team of people who have worked at the AAA for, have lots of experience. There are a lot of senior people at the AAA um, in in all different job descriptions. Um, 
I've, I've gone about being very methodical and careful about listening and learning as much as I can. I feel like that there's probably no better way for a, a new CEO to spend the first, you know, 90, 180 days. And so I think I've had 140 one-on-one meetings with people and asked the same series of questions to everyone to get to, to do my homework, to really understand as much as I can um, to help lead us um, through I think what is through what I think is a time of tremendous transition in the legal profession. I think that the business of law, the practice of law, the education of law students, and the way disputes are resolved is going to change more in the next three, five, ten years than ever in our lifetime. And I used to say that about pandemic, that it changed more during the pandemic than it had in a hundred years. And I actually think what's coming next is going to make that look trivial. So leading this you know, storied and important organization through a time of, I think, a lot of upheaval in the legal profession. And, you know, we serve lawyers and their clients feels weighty to me. It feels like I hope I'm cut out for it. And I hope I don't let down all these tremendous people who have worked at the AAA for a very long time. So I want to do a good job. And I have no doubt. I have no doubt. We have no doubt you will. It's exciting to, to watch you take on this new challenge, both of you. Yeah. So for me, I think it's probably, most of you probably know it's obvious what my challenge is going to be. I made a really tough decision and I'm running for chief justice in Arkansas. And honestly, that was not in the plan and especially was not in the plan, you know, when Michael um, ended up retiring, it was really easy to think that I would just, you know, right off into the sunset or have a career change and do some really interesting things like Eva and Bridget. And so it was really difficult, but it meant, you know, having to make some personal sacrifices with my family and give up that time. And, but I think I was where you were, Bridget, is seeing that this is going to be just tremendous change in the judiciary and in the legal profession. And I just sort of felt like a call to service and that I just sort of felt an obligation and a duty. And I think, you know, Eva, you felt like that too when you stepped away from the court as you felt called and you don't know what the results will be and you sort of have to leave that in the voters and God's hands. But when you feel like you have to do it, you have to, you know, step up and do it. So that is going to be a challenge, you know, it's a three person race, so it's a challenge. And so we'll just, we're in and we'll go from there, but, and see how it works. But if you well, don't- I- I'm sure glad you raised your hand. And <laughs> well, I right? mean, yeah, you have to. Me too. Um, so thank you to our special guests for jumping in on a topic that I'm probably limited to be able to talk about, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but uh, it is it is inspiring to watch my all of my friends follow their sort of calling and passions and and all of that. I'm going to shift over to work for my obstacle ahead. And that is, I've got the chief hat on uh, right now, or robe or whatever you want to call it. And I'll transition that again in January as we normally do. It's every year, but we do have a, a, a new, another judicial election coming up in May, two seats on our court, two seats of five, and all of our trial judges will be on the ballot. Uh, every single one, all 70. Well, now there'll be 80. We have some new new spots. So I guess as a, as the senior person on the court, I feel a little bit of responsibility during, you know, all of that very political time to try to keep 
you know, things stable and just kind of moving forward in spite of everyone needing to focus over on the campaign side. So I think that's probably my obstacle uh, in a work way. So let's shift over, although it's kind of related uh, and some of you have already sort of hinted at what we might talk about, but, you know, I love to talk about well-being, hooray, and I still do. Uh, even Bridget, it, well, it doesn't end. And so I'm going to ask everybody, we'll, we'll let Rhonda kick this one off. When you have a difficult day or you might be feeling kind of less than op- super optimistic and sunny, how do you handle it from a personal standpoint? Because of course, as Eva said, we're trained to act like nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. I'm the strong woman. I'm in charge. So I wanted to give our listeners a little insight as to the things we might do. Yeah, so that's a great question. I sort of had to think about what I do. And for me, I think it's getting outdoors because so much of our time is reading and researching and and being inside. And so um, whether that's exercising or you guys know I like to garden, so it's out in the garden um, doing something like that, or my husband and I will go on a really long walk or kind of get out. But I think it's when you get outside and you sort of see the bigger world, you know, outside of your little office confined where everything feels big in your office, but problems. But then when you get out in the world and you see the sun in the world and you just suddenly realize that the problem's smaller in the grand scheme of life. So for me, that's sort of what I do. What about you, Bridget? It's going to be a similar answer. Um, I hope it's not too boring, but I, my um, emotional and mental health is really tied to my physical health and physical fitness. So I can get down about all kinds of things. And I'm not saying I can solve the problems by getting up and going for a quick, short, it's hard to call it a run, what I do, jog or a bike ride, or a hike, or diving in the water, even when it's cold. I did it last night, actually. I dove into Lake Michigan. I just had a lot that I felt like I had to get through, and I would call call my mental state more one of anxiety than down in the dumps, but it was definitely felt like mind racing. Uh, How was I going to, you know, do it all? That you, I don't know about you all, but I get that a lot on Sundays. I have a, I still have that Sunday night swirl. And sometimes if you go, Lake Michigan is not as warm as it was in July and August, but I went, went over to the lake. I dove in, I swam about, you know, a hundred yards. I got out and it changed my perspective. And so for me, sometimes it's just as simple as doing something physical to just create a little bit of a shift that allows me to um, take a new perspective. What about you, Eva? It's going to sound like an echo, but it's true. I love to get out for a walk. It's cheaper than going to, you know, Neiman Marcus or something. So what I usually do is uh, there's Memorial Park. Another change this year was my husband and I sold our home and we moved into a high rise. And so now we're living this, you know, wonderful empty nester lifestyle and the memorial park which is just this beautiful park in houston there's been a 200 million dollar renovation of the park it's just so beautiful and so i go for a long walk and you know it's surprising how just something that small can really help you think more clearly about whatever's going on and bridget's right i mean some that's not going to solve the problem, but it does give you 
an opportunity to disengage and then to re-engage in a different way once you're, you've got some mental clarity. So I, I think that's a lot of fun. And like I said, cheaper than shopping. <laughs> Those are second choice, I was going to say. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with some healthy retail therapy, I suppose, uh, from time to time. And it certainly works. Well, I'm going to, instead of repeating, which I agree with everything you all have said, I think that it does help to to do all of that. But what I've been playing with lately is, you know, when you do feel like, Bridget, you were talking about feeling anxious or when you're feeling kind of overwhelmed or even if you're angry, you know, something happens, somebody says something, somebody, you know, things don't go. I have been experimenting with just sitting with it instead of trying to change it. And it's a little uncomfortable because I think we, you know, we want to fix you know, I'm going to fix this. It's going to be fine. But I have found that sometimes it just goes away and, you know, you don't have to physically, uh, although it does, you know, it certainly helps everything about perspective and thinking and all of that to, to get, to do some exercise, to get a change of scenery, all that. Um, but instead of trying to change or avoid it, I've been playing around with just sitting with it. Um, but it's, this is not a skill that we learned anywhere or a coping skill that they said, well, law school, when you have, you know, something difficult. So that's been my little mindfulness experiment, which I'm still working on. So that's my addition to the great conversation. So we're going to sort of transition a little bit. And one thing that Beth and I have actually been really curious about, and we've talked about, so we're excited to get to ask you guys um, now about it, is we've been talking Recently on the podcast, we've done some episodes on civil discourse and talking about how to encourage youth to have more positive communications on social media and to discuss things in a positive manner. And then we did an episode um, about the next generation, Bridget, you were on that with law students and teaching them about civil discourse. And so, of course, as judges and justices, we all four, you know, know that we had all these limits on what we could say and roles. Um, and now, even Bridget, you, you guys sort of have had those limits, some of that lifted from you. And so Beth and I are really curious about how you've navigated that change in this, you know, world where you know, it's almost like people get, you know, more excited when you say something, you know, controversial or want you to be divisive. So curious what your thoughts are now that sort of you've shifted into this different sort of roles and views. So Eva, what do you, what's your experience? So that is a, you know, a topic I think that we're just going to learn to live with and that's how to deal with the social media culture and critics and terrorists sometimes on just, you know, you can have a situation where, especially if you're in political life or even a judge is not off limits to constant attack. Part of what I've done is I know that I can control how I respond. And for me, that's involved uh, stepping back from uh, certain platforms, for example, X formerly known as Twitter, uh, that 
to me can feel very toxic. And, you know, the other great parts, Appellate Twitter, my law partner, Ralphie Malconian, does such a good job of maintaining positivity and, and you know, mentorship and great conversation. And there are many others, Judge Dillard, and, and I know Justice Wood, Rhonda, you also chime in on, on different topics. And so I have, I still have a Twitter account, it's private, there are very few uh people on it. And it allows me to look at what I want to look at and to step back and just not read all of the acrimony. Um, I think that the other thing that is helpful is anytime we have the platform or the mic, uh, since we all grew up in a different world where these, these were not the norms, right? Uh, to talk about the importance of civility and how it's transformative when you approach conversations in a way that's more civil than in these caustic engagements that really don't produce any positive outcomes for, for anyone. And so to some step back and that's okay, even for our listeners, if it's toxic, if it's something that you're not enjoying, we have a choice step back from it. I am on LinkedIn now. I kind of like it because everybody's professional and nice. <laughs> I'm fascinated with how LinkedIn came back, frankly, because I sort of thought it had died and was sort of relegated to the has been, but maybe it is a little bit of a refuge in some way. Bridget, what about you? Yeah, I mean, on the where am I nowadays, LinkedIn is is the much more comfortable platform, I think, for all the reasons Eva already identified. I mean, I'll say it wasn't a good fit for me, the the acrimony and the, you know, uh, sort of divisive political part of public service never fit well with me, even when I was in public service. So being out of it is it, that that part is a real benefit to me. It's nice not to be the target of, of, of a lot of that acrimony anymore. You know, even when I didn't always understand why I was the target, uh, nice to not not be in that position anymore. And I myself don't like communicating that way. And that's not how I uh, like to find friends and support friends. And so it's nice to just have that kind of fully behind me. I'm not on X slash Twitter much anymore. I, ha I still have an account so I can look every once in a while, but I don't look very often. Um, I sometimes you can follow me on Instagram if you want to see where I am. You can see where you can see where, where in the world I, I, I might be. Sometimes I sometimes forget about that too. And somebody stole my Facebook account like in February, some marketer in Vietnam took it over and he just took all my friends. And so for a while, like I tried to get it back and my talented IS team tried to help me get it back, but Facebook couldn't really help. And so I don't know, some marketer in Vietnam has my Facebook page now. So if you want to find out what's happening with him, you could follow me on Facebook and find out what's happening with him. I quite like being in a world where I don't, I don't, I'm not involved in much of that at all. I don't, I am very, you know, post politics in this part of my life. We will continue, you know, we've seemed to have struck a bit of a chord. Folks seem interested in this sort of civil discourse. How can we treat each other civilly? Because I, I think folks have hit a bit of a breaking point that maybe social media has pushed us to. I don't know, Rhonda, if you want to have any follow-up on that as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, obviously when you're, I hate to say running for office, you, you're on social media and you're out there, but I, you know, I've, I've still engaged in appellate, appellate Twitter and some of that just because of some, I feel like I've formed some great relationships there and 
and tried to, you know, encourage it. Um, but it's really hard to like scroll through a hundred negative, you know, messages to get to the one or two that, you know, are positive and what that does sort of to your psychic. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's frustrating. So, uh, you know, we'll see, but I'm really curious about your, your, your Vietnam mirror or whatever your basement is. <laughs> I mean, it's so bizarre, Bridget. <laughs> it's so bizarre. And the, the, the truth is like once my, um, the, I was kind of only on Facebook to see what, you know, my mother-in-law and my dad would put, like, I think it's mostly for people in their generation. Then my dad passed away. So he wasn't on Facebook anymore. So I didn't really have to watch that. And usually someone will tell me what my mom's posting so I can figure it out, you know. Well, um, uh, we appreciate the tip on your on your Facebook page, and we and we hate that. So I guess we should all check our our password and security. And thank you. So, man, this has gone so quickly. I can't believe it's time now for the lightning round, which we still do. And this is the part of the podcast when we give answers to questions that may or may not have anything to do with our topic or our work. So the order will answer these in. We'll go Rhonda, Bridget, Eva, and then me. And we have three lightning round entries today. First is what are you most grateful for other than your family and work? We're all grateful for our family and our work. So let's pick something else. So I'm gonna be cheesy and just start off with you guys. And um, just because I'm just forever ever grateful for the friendship that we started, you know, back. And it really helped me get through the pandemic and COVID and, and knowing that all four of you are out there if I need something or can reach out to. So that's not to like dispel any, any other choice that you guys make, but I just, I really wanted the opportunity to say that to you. So there you go. <laughs> well, she beat me to it. I was going to say my female friends, most th this group here, top, top among the list. It's just, it just provides something in life that I don't get anywhere else. And I'm full of gratitude for it. A distant, distant second and third are Lake Michigan and my bike. Well, I'm going to say my husband, he is, you know, retired police officer and he's retired. And so he is so helpful, just, it, you know, he plays a lot of golf and whatnot, and, but he's been so helpful as I transition to, you know, a different way of doing things. And so I'm super grateful for Tony and I don't say it enough. And so there it's, it's being publicly said, Tony, but the other thing is uh, just like you all friendship. I do, you know, there's so many friends uh, that will text me and say, you go girl, or if I'm having a bad time, that'll text, you know, uh, the, the a Bible verse that day, or, you know, these are just the small things that, that matter. So family and friendship. And I'm so grateful for, for all of my friends. It, it's just there's just a lot to be to be grateful for. I agree. There is so much, so many things we could talk about. But what I didn't anticipate when I was elected to the Supreme Court in West Virginia is how my cherished support system would become people in other places. You know, I I had no idea I would get to meet you know women, especially women, also men who do this job and who can you know pro provide camaraderie and support and and everything. It's just been such an unexpected blessing. And I'm so much better in my job and in my life as a result of it. And of course, that especially includes the three of you. 
So we'll round it out there with where Rhonda started. So the next one is, what book are you reading or what show are you watching right now? Rhonda. So I am reading Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. And he has written a lot of books. And for some reason, I missed that one. And so I've gone back and I'm reading that. And it's just really really good. And it's not that that gives you a lot of new things, but it just reminds you of sort of treating people well in the workplace and your team. So that's where I am. And Bridget, you can tell me your book, but I'm really hoping you're going to give me something good to watch because you always (laughs) give my husband and I great things to watch. Um, first of all, I love that book, that Simon Sinek book. It's really good. I think oh, that's a, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a fantastic one. I read that recently myself. Um, and I will, but I, I just finished uh, Genius Makers, which is by Cade Metz. He's the, I think he's a, I think he's a Times technology correspondent, but it's about the story of the kind of mavericks who brought generative AI to Google and Facebook and the, the story of how that happened over the last, it's actually a few decades, but the last um, decade in particular, fascinating. It reads more like a Michael Lewis novel than a tech book. So it's a really, it's a really good read. Okay. Have you watched The Bear, Rhonda? No. Oh, yes. Chef, go watch it. And then you'll okay. know what I mean by that. Okay. Oh, so good. The Bear. The Bear, okay. the Bear, the Bear. All right. You've never let me down. So, all right. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to share a very silly show but you know after reading all day it's fun only murders in the building I love Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez is a great sidekick uh to both of them and it's it's cute it's got a little you know a little intrigue and and uh uh lots of satire and it's funny and so that's that's been fun to watch you know one night a week or so I just ordered um will order Elon Musk the biography by Walter Isaacson I do think no matter what you think about him he's a fascinating human being who's had a a tremendous impact in a number of sectors and so I look forward forward to understanding the man behind the x I want to I want to read that one too. I have to say I did I did like peek into Twitter last night just for one minute to watch the back and forth between his different um most recent baby mamas. So that was fascinating. If you haven't seen it, check it out. There's there's some entertainment for today. Um so I am still hopeless when it comes to shows, but the last uh but I just finished reading, listening to actually Lessons in Chemistry um, by Bonnie Garmas came out last year, I think. It's fiction and really entertaining story of a woman in a profession dominated by men. Imagine that. So it it hits home a little bit. All right, question three. And Eva, I am dying to know your answer to this um, because I've seen your shoes. But we'll, we'll stay in the same order. Did the pandemic change your work wardrobe? And if so, how? Rhonda. So during the pandemic, it did. I mean, I was in yoga pants and a t-shirt for probably two solid years, um, which was not well because that I, you know, hid the, I didn't realize what I was eating in my, you know, (laughs) yoga pants and t-shirt, but um, now I'm fully back in normal workwear and nothing's, you know, if you saw me from before and after I'm back in the same work clothes. So what about you, Bridget? 
No, mine is not the same. I change my, I have some permanent changes. So I, uh, wear flat shoes a whole lot more. I almost always wear flat shoes every once in a while. If I have to wear heels or I feel like I should wear heels, I have flat shoes in my backpack and they get switched out pretty quickly after the fact. I wear pants a lot more. I used to wear more dresses and skirts and uh, I find I don't really go put them on much in my closet. I, I, I want pants and I want them to be comfortable. I, I definitely am um, a little bit more practical too. I, I, I buy, I buy things in like three colors. I buy like gray, black, and navy. And I, so anything can go with anything. i as you heard on the road a lot and traveling a lot. And I like to be able to just throw things in my suitcase and know that basically they all can kind of go with one another. So uh, simpler, more practical. All right, Eva, moment of truth. <laughs> no, I mean, for me, I think it's the heels. So when I was 12, I got my first pair of heels and it was the $20 look. And I think they were like $12.99. And so I was so excited. And I'll never forget that pair of heels. But I've always loved shoes. I, you know, just have this, I don't know. I love shoes. But during the pandemic, no one wore shoes because you were behind the screen. And so getting, I think I'm doing what Bridget's doing now is I'm, you know, have a pair of flats that I wear. And then when I walk in, I'll put on the heels and then I'll, you know, put the flats back on. But I think I read somewhere that flats are now, the, you know, everyone's scrapping heels for comfort. And I think that's a good thing. But I still have shoes and I still have clothes post-pandemic. So... <laughs> So I'm pretty consistent. I had gotten a lot more sort of casual and I've taken it back, you know, with a little bit more in terms of not suits all the time, but a little bit more jacket and stuff like that. But the heels have definitely gotten very short, if at all. So I think that might be healthy too, actually, for our feet, or maybe now we're just more aware of the impact uh, all that uh, had on our feet. So I have a couple of pair of uh, taller heels that I haven't quite thrown away slash given away yet, I can't, but I really haven't worn them and I probably won't, but they stay in my closet just to maybe inspire me a little bit. So anyway... Once again, we are so grateful that we could find a time when all four of us could get on the line and do a do this wonderful reunion episode of Lady Justice. And frankly, it feels like we have been doing this all along to talk to the three of you this way. It's like we never quit. Um, so that's exciting. And that is a wrap and the end of this episode of Lady Justice Women in the Court. We'll be back soon, as always. But in the meantime... Please follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening to Lady Justice Women of the Court, the only podcast with one retired and two sitting state Supreme Court justices. To learn more about this podcast, access past episodes, or find links to our social media, visit ladyjusticepod.com. You can also record a voice message with a question or a comment. Don't forget to subscribe and share our show with a friend of the genre. Remember, the opinions expressed on the program are the justices alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their respective courts. Until next time, wishing you all a very happy Thanksgiving.